This show is brought to you in part by the University of Advancing Technology. UAT is a unique technology-infused private college that was founded by a geek for other geeks. Our mission is to educate students in the fields of advancing technology to become innovators of the future. UAT's campus culture is devoted to continually nurturing a thriving geek community where everyone's personal lives and professional aspirations revolve around technology. The beginning of the 21st century is an exciting time to be in the technology community. Current subjects of ongoing research and scholarship at UAT include robotics and embedded systems, artificial life programming, information and network security, game development, and other areas of advanced technology. Check them out on the web at www.uat.edu. Shoutcast streaming provided by Versus the World Productions, www.vtwproductions.com. Hi, folks. This is the Emperor. I'm here to remind you to listen to the Emperor's Court every Saturday from 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern right here at vtwproductions.com. That's the Emperor's Court, your three-hour break from Internet porn. Hello. Hey, Mum. You're going to bleep every word I say that's not right, is that it? Not a chance in hell, huh? Okay, this should be a fun interview. And I'm supposed to direct your fan organizations to vtwproductions.com. Well, let's uh, start with, we will get up to the, the fans here for some fan question and, and answer time. Um, one thing I didn't realize is you, you've done a lot of uh, video games. Yes. Uh, so. Voice work on, yeah. on video. Yeah, I do a lot of that. Um, what's the most recent video game you've done? Uh, Let me think. What's the most recent video game you've done? Oh, I did um, Transformers. Really? Yes. I had to think there for a minute. I did Transformers. I played one of the um, characters. I can never remember. I, I always say it's Bumblebee, but it's not Bumblebee. It was one of the evil Transformers, but he's the um, he's the character that's always saying, I don't think we should go in here. No, no, I don't think we really should do that. Uh-huh, told you, shouldn't have done that. Uh, he's kind of the one that's always very reticent to do anything and keeps getting his butt kicked. One. Yes, and he's small. You know, I think he was a VW or something. <laughs> kind of funny. Have a guy that's six feet one doing a little VW. Wow, what the hell. But yeah, and I've got a couple coming up actually. I'm doing, um, last year one of my big games came out and was very, very successful. Um, they're doing a sequel to it, which I'm reprising, uh, reprising, reprising, reprising reprising the role, uh, doing that this year, and I believe I'm supposed to be going back to Los Angeles on Monday, and I think on Tuesday or Wednesday I'm doing another big one. Yeah. There's a couple of really big games that I'm up for that I'm not supposed to talk about, oh. uh, doing um, stuff for them. But my funnest part on doing voiceover was when I, I did the voiceover for the film, um, drawn together, to, together the film together, that television. I don't know if anybody ever saw the TV show. Very. Cartoon? Yeah, it was on. It was on Cartoon Network at like one o'clock in the morning because it was so raunchy. Yeah. And um, I did. I played the 
the boss. And they, it was just out of control. I mean, it was seriously out of control. And the two guys that produce and write it are Jewish. And they just lace it with all these Jewish jokes and things. And it's like, in the Finnish show, I was sort of saying to them, uh, guys, I really don't want my name on this because, you know, there's a whole population of people that may come for me. It was just very, very funny. They're very witty, and I really enjoyed doing it. And it intrigued me because they did the whole thing. I have a lot of conversations with people, like my character in the film, but they never did it with two of us in the booth. It was always one me, and I would go in and they would just direct me on how they wanted me to do the dialogue, and then they married that with the other actor doing his dialogue. And I used to think, this is never going to work, you know, because I'm supposed to be my inflections and, you know, the way you talk to people, I'm thinking, oh, God, this is going to be horrible. When I saw it, it was amazing. They had, everything was so perfect. It was like I was just sitting there chatting to the guy who was talking to me. And I thought, God, that's, that's brilliant, you know, to be that good at directing an actor to deliver his dialogue so that you can then add it to someone else's is pretty damn good. But I like that. I like doing voiceovers again simply because I don't have to dress. I can walk in in my pajamas. No one gives a crap. I don't have to look good. I just drag my ass into the recording booth and they lock the door and refuse to let me out till they finish. I'm sorry? Yeah, it's fun. I, I actually... It's, it's funny, though. Games are really weird because... They call it the nerd, the game nerders, you know, like these people who who do nothing but but apprise the new games and they go to like the, the, the big game conventions. There's a huge one coming up, I believe, in um, Los Angeles soon, the big game convention. And they bring out all the new games and they have demos of them and all these people get to listen. It's a little bit like showing a, a, a screening of a film, you know, and people get to say, oh, I like this, I didn't like that. I got cast in the lead, one of the lead characters in a, a role-playing game, a very, very big one. People have waited like 10 years for this thing to come out, the second one. And it was going to be huge. And I was cast to do one of the main um, role-playing characters. We did 20-minute um, promo. We did all the voices, and there was like 10 different characters. Because um, each male had a female counterpart. So that if I was playing a particular role, and they had a girl playing the same role, but a female version of it, then they were appealing to women as well as guys, you know, in the gaming. So it was really cool. I did all this work for like three weeks, got paid a lot of money for all these sessions, and they took it to the big convention, and the nerds threw all of us out. Really? They hated every voice except one. So out of ten main voices, they had to recast nine of them. And it was just I was like, you're kidding. Because the producer rang me up, and he went, man, I am so sorry. He said... Personally, I think it's stupid, but the manufacturers go with what these yeah. kids want, and they wanted a um, what was it? They wanted a black voice for the character, which I thought was really weird because he was Scottish. <laughs> but you know, 
I know it's just it's just so funny, but uh, I mean, apart from that, it's it's just so much fun doing the the games. You know, you have a lot of cool. I've got what about eight or nine out now, I believe. Yeah, yeah everything from uh, I was looking pretty yeah, that's a Dark Yeah, that was the the big one, Dark Siders. I'm doing yeah. that sequel. Dungeons and Dragons. Yep, that was fun. I've done about four for Australia. Yeah. I did um, uh, rescuers down under and rescue rangers. And they're all little animal ones, you know, like a, they're not people, they're little animals. Yeah, it's like, yeah. oh, look at that, I'm playing a kangaroo, dear God. But it's fun. I enjoy it. You've done a lot of, uh, a lot of TV. Yes, I do the odd job. Of course, the big one everybody knows is the Power Rangers. Yeah. Um, 12 months of the Power Rangers. Yeah. And then I didn't realize until I was looking over this, but you, you did a lot of Conan, uh, MacGyver, mm -hmm. Knight Rider, Hunter. Uh, yeah, I did a lot. A lot of my finish, too. Uh, yeah, I always like to tell people I did the last episode of five different shows. <laughs> That's good. Like put burning on it, though. I'm just going to bring it out, you know, that, you, that you did close out a lot of these shows. Yes, we, uh, we've got one more episode to go because we had Vernon in it. <laughs> damn it, we're finished. God damn it. We thought we had a good run going there. <laughs> you know, tonight will be the last time we see Western X. You know that, yeah, yeah, not showing what I've done. It's, that's it. It's over. It's a death. Western, <laughs> Western X is done. It had a good run. <laughs> but I thought it was quite funny when I, did, when I got cast into Power Rangers because of course when they asked me I was working in um, Las Vegas doing a talk show I was the host of it and they asked me to come and audition for it and I went Power Rangers you've got to be kidding it's a bloody kids show you know what the hell would I want to go and audition for Power Rangers for and my management said well no they're asking for you they, they would really like you to come <clears throat> one of the producers knows you and uh, so I flew back from Las Vegas and I walked into the room and for the first casting session and it was full of all these major stars. I mean, seriously, major television stars. And I just stood there and went, dear God, why am I here? You know, there's like all these major television stars that were up one day audition of this role. So I went in, I auditioned because I knew one of the, the producers, Koichi. And... Um, I left because I figured, you know, they got all these other people to choose from, so I'm, I'm headed back to Las Vegas. So, of course, I arrive in Las Vegas to get a message asking me to fly back because I have to come for the call back the next day. So I was like, oh, dear God, so I'm now back on a plane, back to Los Angeles. I, I go in. Now, there's only half as many major names in the room. So I go in, I do the second interview, and I fly back to Las Vegas that night, and I've got to do the show the next day. And they ring me up and they say, um, we need you to come in in three days for a final interview because the executive producer, the one that has been sick and he hasn't been able to see any of the auditions, so, you know, the, the, the people that it's down to, they want to see. So I was like, I really don't want to do this. This is, like, really annoying me because I'm flying backwards and forwards from Las Vegas. So I went in, and I think it was one of those things where 
you get it because you're in a bad mood and you don't give a shit. You know, seriously, I, I walked into the room and I was just pissed because I'd had to fly backwards and forwards from Las Vegas and it was interrupting this show that I was doing. And I kind of walked in with this really bad attitude and I just sort of stood there glaring at everybody. And uh, this uh, executive producer was there and he, he said, you know, I'm really sorry that I was sick and I haven't been out to see, but I'd really like to see the audition. And I was like, yeah, whatever. And they went, okay, would you like to do it? And I said, what do you want me to do? And he said, well, do the, uh, do the, the audition that you've already done. And I said, oh, for God's sake, I've done it three times. What do you people want? Can't anybody see what I can do? And there was this, like, dead silence in the room. And I went, oh, for Christ's sake, all right, I'll do it. And I did the audition, and then I just walked out, right? Because I was really pissed. And, Went to the airport, got on a plane, flew back to Las Vegas and, and had to complete the show. Where was this? Uh, the auditions were in California. Uh, they were actually out near Magic Mountain. So um, it was quite a drive from the airport. It was like a two-hour drive to get to the audition from the airport, let alone anything else. Lots of time to get you in a better mood. Oh, a much better mood. So I, f I flew back to Las Vegas and my managers rang me and said, how'd it go? And I said, I just... I blew it because I'm in a, no, I was in a bad mood and I didn't give a shit, so I just went in and virtually told everybody to go suck it. And they went, oh, good. And then they rang me like a day later and said, uh, they want you to come in for your costume fitting. You know, you begin work in a week. And I was like, oh, you're kidding. And they went, no, they loved you. <laughs> Apparently it was this sarcastic, couldn't give a shit attitude, was like, oh, that's the character, yeah, we want him. And it was just, you know, it was so funny because it was the first villain that they ever had in Power Rangers that was not a someone in a costume. He was like human. So I got to do so much fun. And then because two of the people I worked with in it were also actors, they casted every year with new kids. So they're all green. Most of them have never acted before. It was all a money-saving thing. And the writers always write very loose because, you know, the kids can't handle that much fun. But suddenly they had like three actors in it, so they started writing the dialogue up. And then because my sarcastic wit always comes out, they started writing it. And there's a couple of scenes which I love to tell people. It became this really fine line we walked between pornographic and kiddie porn. Truly, it was just ridiculous that the girl that played my daughter, I, I really, we really got on well. We you know, had a lot of fun together. And because of that, and, and the girl that plays the Pink Ranger in it became one of my best friends. She still is. Erin um, is just a gorgeous, gorgeous lady. So I got on really famously with these two particular actresses. So they started writing the dialogue, and there's one sequence that they did, and everybody that watches it go, I don't know how they got away with doing it, but there's a scene where my daughter walks up to me and she goes, Daddy, I have a problem. And I go, yes, darling. She goes, I broke my fingernail. And I go, ah, oh, precious, Daddy will fix that. And I take her finger and I go, mm -hmm. how's that? And she goes, oh, that's so much better. <laughs> how they got on air, I have wow. no idea, but it was in the episode and it was like, because we just played it so close to this line, it was just, and then everybody kept wondering with my character in the Pink Ranger, they kept saying, 
is she your daughter as well? Or, you know, because the relationship we had on, on, line, on the, the series, it was like every couple of episodes, we would turn up trying to kick each other's butt. So everybody thought that there was some relationship going on there. It was quite fun. I enjoyed it for 12 months. I mean, the kids were great. The, the show was fun. I mean, if I'd wanted to make a living out of it, I would have starved to death. Thank God I was still doing the show in Las Vegas. But it was good. You have your own action figure? Yeah. <laughs> One of four. See, I'm very famous. I have four action figures, man. That's, that's more than most people get. And I have two, I'm famous for two things. I have four action figures and I have two comics. In Mad, I have two things oh, in really? Mad Magazine. Yeah. They did one on Road Warrior, which was hysterical. They had a cover. I'm on the cover of Mad twice. They had a cover of Mad for Road Warrior where they had the, the, the big truck and they had a, a Mel Gibson-type character in the cabin, and then they had me on a little tricycle riding along beside it, which was really funny, and they had a, a great little send-up, you know, comic in it. And they had one for um, Commando. They did, and we got the cover again. And the, the part that, the, that I love the best is they have one frame where I'm standing talking to, I guess, to the guy that was that I'm working for and I have my shirt on and it's got written across the front of it I am not Freddie Mercury on steroids <laughs> and I, yeah I thought that was just very very witty and, and lots of fun but I have an action figure from two action figures from the series one from Commando and one from Rogue Warrior and someone came up to me today, uh, yesterday and told me that in Hong Kong, they have a two-foot, two-foot-high version yeah. of yeah, all illegal, totally illegal. But they're they're done <laughs> over there because he he yeah he bought one and he said he'd send me a photograph of it. So I was like, son of a bitch, I don't get any money for that. Didn't get any money for any of them, but geez. Um. What are, uh, what are some of the projects you're working on now or the upcoming projects you have that you're excited about? That I'm excited about? Oh, let okay. Let's rephrase that, maybe. Um, so what's the <laughs> upcoming projects you have? <laughs> what's any of the upcoming projects that I have? Dear God, I'm doing this really wanky little television show. God damn it, it's so boring. Um, no, I'm doing a show called Western X which our beloved host here plays my son in. That's why we get on so well. I kick his butt a lot. And those trips around the world that we took. Mm -hmm. They, uh, yes, they, they did us a photo, because I can never help myself. I'm, if you ever try to get me to be straight on the set, it's, it's really impossible, because I can't help myself. And we were doing a photo session, and Aaron and I would, they wanted these really straight photos of us, you know, like being, so he's standing beside me, so I kissed him, and they took the photo of it, and then they put it on the internet in like every part of the world you can think of as a background. They had us at the Eiffel Tower, at the beach, at sunset. It was like, oh, dear God, why did I do that? It was just so funny. It just became this big thing on the internet. It's like, dear God, now I just learned something. 
Never do anything on the set. You'll be afraid of a green screen. Yes, <laughs> it's, it's very dangerous. But no, it was um, the series itself I love. I think it's going to be like the biggest thing on the internet when it really hits because it's just so well put together. And the, everybody in it, including Aaron and everybody else that's working on it, Dustin, Michael, who's a genius, our director, um, yeah. creator, it's just such a, a, a great idea and, and such a really fun show to do. I mean, the whole crew, when I, when I arrived, because I was asked by a good friend of mine who originally um, came onto the show as their um, special effects director, and then he left, but before he left, he, he kind of rang me one day and said, they're trying to find a name to play the general and... Um, I sort of threw your name on the table and everybody sort of went, ooh. And would you be interested? And I was kind of like, well, send me a script or something. Let me have a look at it. And I loved it. So I said, yeah, I'd love to do it. And then, unfortunately, there was an accident on the set and everything closed down for about eight or nine months, didn't it? Yeah. And it kind of went cold and... and I thought, oh, it's not going to happen, you know, because it was, it was kind of one of those ideas that you, you kind of get in your mind, you're like, oh, this would be so much fun to do, and then it's not going to happen, you get all like a oh, bugger. But it came back, and they rang me and said, we want you to come, come to Phoenix and shoot. And I kind of arrived on the set, and it's like, I am probably the most laid-back human being on this planet. You know, I really do not give a crap about who I am or who I'm supposed to be. It's like, I am just so god-awful happy that I've been able to be successful. And they picked me up in a limo, and I'm like, oh, dear God, this is not good. Right from the start, this is not good. Take me to the set. They have this trailer that's like two blocks long. And I'm like, oh, please, no more. I go into the trailer and they have this whole array of food. Like there was enough food in this trailer to feed half of Los Angeles. It's just everything. And I was like, guys, seriously, um, we really don't need to do this, you know. Like just send one of the PAs to pick me up at the airport and just... Give me somewhere to change. I'm fine. The rest of us are outside starving. They're all starving. They're all sitting out in the sun. I didn't give a shit. And I was, I was talking to Michael and I said, why in the heck would you have someone pick me up? Why don't you just send a PA? And he said, they're all dead shit scared to come near you. That none of them would go and pick you up. He said, we had to hire somebody that didn't know you. I said, oh, great. I've got a great reputation now. People don't like me. But my first scene was with this particular boy and a couple of other actors, and it was just amazing. It, this whole scene was just mind-blowing. It was. It was just so cool. Everybody clicked instantly. It's, sometimes you get on a set, and especially if it's been going for a while, if it's a show that... And the other actors have established rapport, they've established their characters, and you kind of walk into the middle of it, no matter who you are, you're the new boy in town, you know, so you've now got to establish your character. And, and sometimes it's really easy, sometimes it's really difficult because people kind of stand back, you know, it's like, uh, yeah, well, you know, we're the stars of the show, you know, we really don't need you. Um, but we walked on and it was just like, everybody was like, oh, yeah, let's do this, man, this is going to be so much fun. And it was like, oh, shit, this is great, you know. So we all just clicked instantly. We had so much fun doing the scene. And it was like, this is so 
cool. I loved it. I love doing it. Love working on it. Um, I think it's going to be a bull terror as a series. I've just finished. Sorry. I was going to say the scene we did uh, was was up on a ledge. Yeah, that was kind of fun. Yeah, don't don't step either way, or you're going to fall to your death. Yeah, that was kind of fun. They had us on. A, we're supposed to be on a second story, so they had us on a ledge that was like a foot and a half wide, and we had to walk and pass each other and do stuff on it. And I had to turn around a lot, sort of nailing people to the wall. It was it was funny. I mean, it was like always very aware that there was like a 14 foot drop if I stepped off the edge. But no, I loved it. I really, the crew I thought was just amazing. It was another one of those things where sometimes you walk on a set and it's, it's just you walk on and you feel like you should be there. Sometimes you walk on a set and you feel like oh, this is going to be a, the film I just finished about three weeks ago. Much and all as I enjoyed the film, the, the experience was not a good experience because it, it was always that thing where you felt like you didn't belong, like nobody belonged. It was, there was no symmetry between everybody, which makes it difficult. I did a film that I finished um, in January, which was the first time I've ever done this. A good friend of mine um, was trying to put this horror movie together, but with a, a sort of fun twist to it. And he couldn't get all the funds, so he approached all of the, the people he'd contacted to be what leads in it and all of the major crew and said what he wanted to do was put it together as a uh, the whole production we owned all of us it was a, a share basis that everybody in the production owned the production that included the crew the stars everybody and we all we didn't get paid and we all sort of went oh okay why not let's let's try it it'd be fun it was probably the, apart from Western X, it was probably the funnest time I've ever had in my life on a set. The reason being, everybody wanted to be there. It wasn't one of these things where, you know, you're being paid 500 bucks a day, you're being paid a thousand. So you're there for the money, you know, and you grumble and bitch all day about, you know, I don't know why the hell I'm here. Um, everybody wanted to be there because you weren't being paid. You know, so if you weren't being paid, you didn't have to be there, but everybody wanted to be there. We had the best stunt crew. The, one of the top wire crews in Los Angeles worked on the film. We had one of the top driving crews, stunt drivers, working on the crew. It was just amazing. We had all these amazing people. And the show was so much fun. Um, I got to play the good guy for a change. I wasn't a villain. I played the sheriff. And I said to uh, Doogie when he first asked, I said, Doogie, I've got an Australian accent. He said, I don't give a shit. I said, yeah, but he's this little country sheriff. He said, so? He could have migrated here. What's your point? <laughs> okay, fine. So I got to play the sheriff, which was really fun. And we just, the whole cast, just once again, you know, we all gelled and we all had a lot of fun. And he did it so, he, he's one of these directors that hates things that aren't realistic. He likes to try and keep it real. And there's this great little scene in it where one of the characters gets his leg chewed off by an alien. And he's like in, in pain and he's like writhing around on this table. And he's sitting up and he's going, for God's sake, someone knock me out. I can't stand the pain. And I turn around and hit him. And in every movie you ever see, when someone gets punched, they get knocked unconscious. So I turn around and I hit him and he goes, shit, what did you do that for, you son of a bitch? <laughs> like, 
And it's one of the funniest scenes in the film because he doesn't collapse like that. He's like really pissed off that I hit him, you know. He's still in pain and now he's just been hit. And I thought that was so cool to do that. You know, you don't do that stupid thing of, you know, you hit some guy and they fall unconscious. So yeah, it was a lot of fun. As you can see, I enjoy what I do. I have fun on it. Except with him, he's boring as shit. Yeah. We didn't get along at all. Still don't. Uh, what, uh, do you guys have any questions for Vern about some of the films he's been in? Or, uh, 120 of them? Yeah. Yeah, he's got 18 pages by the TV. Credits. And the odd one or four. Yes? Uh, what exactly did George Miller see in you that cashed you with that next? I had a very big schlong. <laughs> Good. So, uh, uh, his website. <laughs> uh, no. Um, actually, this story is really interesting. Um, way back when I started my career, I really didn't want to be an actor. I was terrified of being an actor. I hated the camera. Um, I started off working on the crew as an assistant director and graduated to directing. And I love directing. And the problem was that when I direct, I am still an actor, so I tend to do the whole thing with my actors to make sure they understand where I want them to be. And I just really didn't want to be in front of the camera. And this stage play came about and my uh, agents in Australia said, you know, we these people really want you to do this. And I was like, no, I'm really not, you know, stage, good God, I'll, I'll probably die the first night. And, uh, excuse me, they said, well, just read it, the play, and uh, let us know. So I read the play and sent it back to them with a huge note across the top saying, not until hell freezes over. It was about two gays, like two guys, who were in a relationship and it was one night in their lives. And I, I was like, there is no way I am playing a gay man. It ain't happening. So they continued to pester me. And I had moved on. I was directing commercials and doing things. So it was the last thing on my mind. And they just kept pestering me about it. And um, the director wanted to meet me and blah, blah. And I wouldn't do it. And one day I was having dinner with my family, with my brother and my mother. And I kind of told my... Uh, mother and brother about this thing. My brother was like, well, why don't you do it? And I said, well, number one, I'm not gay. And number two, it ain't happening. And he said, so you're a coward. And my brother and I do not get along with And I was like, excuse me? He said, so you're a coward. And I said, what do you mean I'm a coward? He said, you're gutless. You just, you know, you're scared to get up there and do something that isn't you because you're, you know, gutless. And he pissed me off so bad that the next day I rang up and said, I'll do it. <laughs> and then uh, the panic set in after that. I was like, oh my God. You know, and, and there was things in this uh, play. It's called Hosanna. It was written by a uh, Canadian, French-Canadian writer who's very famous called Michel Tremblay. And it's basically, it was written as an ode to the fact that uh, Montreal wanted to keep the French language, and the French, uh, the um, Canadian government wanted Montreal to be an English-speaking uh, city, and there was this huge clash between the French 
um, Canadians and the English Canadians over the fact that the French Canadians wanted to keep Fran uh, French as their language. And he wrote this play as kind of an ode to that. It was kind of the two sides of, this, of the story, but without having the thing. He had two people, one being totally gay and the other being just an asshole, to be polite, who lived off this um, gay hairdresser who was prepared to do what needed to be done to be part of it. And it's about one night in their lives where um, the, uh, the one wants to there's a big ball in Canada um, that they have once a year that all the transvestites and gays go to and they dress up as characters who they would like to be and her dream had always been to be Elizabeth Taylor in her major film role that she did when she played Cleopatra and the, the premise of the whole play is that I set her up I let all the other fairies know that she's going to come as Cleopatra. So when she arrives at the ball, there is like 300 Cleopatras, short, fat ones, tall, skinny ones, you know. And she gets so totally embarrassed and distraught that she flees the ball and goes home. And I sort of follow along after her. And then it's this like 12-hour period in our lives where everything comes out. And it was a very intense play, believe it. Like, I'm on the stage for three minutes and I strip naked. It was kind of intense. Yes. And I had to get into bed with a guy and I had to kiss a guy and it's all these things that are just like, whoa, baby. And the director was a highly intelligent. I've worked with two directors who I think are incredibly intelligent. This man was one who at no time in rehearsals did he ever have me take my clothes off. Did he ever have me cuddle uh, Robert? Did he ever have me kiss him? Did he ever have me do anything? All he did was do the play. We read it and we plotted where we were moving, all the movements. We got everything set up. That's all we ever did. And it was quite funny because I was talking to my brother the night before we opened. And I said, yeah, I can't do this. I truly can't because there is, I've never taken my clothes off in this rehearsals. And once I get on stage, I'm going to freeze. I know I am. And he said, go on, you big wuss. You'll be fine. And the funny thing was that the minute I put my foot on the stage, Vernon Wells disappeared and the character emerged. And I'd never experienced that because all I'd ever done to that stage was television, you know, and directed people. So I'd never experienced, experienced that dynamic change that happens in, in your body when you are so into a character that you become the character. And it, it really threw me for a second because I sort of stepped onto that stage and I became the character and I walked on, I did my thing, I took my clothes off, I masturbated, I did everything I had to do. And it became a roaring success. It was supposed to play for five weeks and it's what's called a filler and that's between two seasons. You have a major play and a major play and in the middle you have a filler, which is a small play that they put on to just fill seats for that particular time. It ran for six and a half months to packed houses. And it was not a happy time for me. <laughs> and the fun thing about this whole story is that my mother came to see opening night with my brother and with my auntie. And I say in the play, I say the word F-U-C-K at least 64 times. Of any word in the English language that my mother detests, that is it. And my biggest fear was when I walked out on the stage and, and I could see the audience, uh, 
very dimly, but my mother was sent where you guys are, center, staring at me. And I'm thinking, oh dear God, the minute I say that word, she will stand up and yell at me. I know she will. So I'm sitting, I'm doing the play, and I finish the play. My mother hasn't said anything, and I'm like, oh, this is so cool. I got away with it. And um, I got changed. I went downstairs to the bar, you know, for a drink with everybody. My parents are there, and we're chatting. And I walked in, and uh, I said to my mother, what did you think? And my mother is brilliant at what she does. She just stood there, and she looked at me in my eyes, and she said, sweetheart, and her eyes went all the way down to my crutch, and she went, you have grown, haven't you? <laughs> Which destroyed me right there. And then I said, so everything was all right? And she said, well, darling, the first time you said F-U-C-K, I thought, oh, he says that again, I will say something said the third time you said it I was about to stand up said by the tenth time you said it I thought to myself ah what the hell fuck's just another word <laughs> that's exactly how she said it to me and I just stood there and my mother it was just the funniest thing and then my auntie who was saying this my mother I talked to her and I said so what do you think auntie and she took me by the hand and she said sweetheart you know I love you and I thought uh oh there's a problem here right now I, I know it said, I, you know I love you, and I will accept you for whatever you are. <laughs> and I said, no, 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 Artie, I'm not gay. It's, it's a play I'm doing. And she went, shh, shh, shh. I, I know, sweetheart, it's okay. And truly, to the day this woman died, I will swear, no matter how many women I talk home with, she did not believe... I was straight. It was no way. I know. I'm a club. What can I say? And the, the, the thing from that is that George Miller's girlfriend, Sandy Gore, saw a performance. Because in Australia they have what's called industry nights when a play is running. And they do a late a Friday night. They do like an 11 o'clock show. And the industry gets to come that are all working in other plays. You know, they get to come and see. So we all get to go and see all the plays that are on. And she told George Miller. She said, George, I found Wes. And strangely enough, he came down and he, um, I had no idea what Mad Max was. And he had coffee with me and we talked and we told jokes and we had fun and it was all really cool. And then he left. And I still had no idea why I'd had coffee with him just that he was, I knew Sandy, it was Sandy Gore's boyfriend. And about three weeks later, I, my um, managers rang me up and said, you'd fly to Sydney for wardrobe and makeup for the film. And it was like, what film? And they said, wow. uh, this uh, sequel to um, Mad Max, uh, The Road Warrior, or Mad Max 2 as we called it. And it was like, what? So I flew to Sydney, I had no idea, and then they explained what I was doing. And once again, I have a great habit of saying no to things. You've got no idea. And I said, I can't do this. This is ridiculous because he explained the character of what it was. I went, George, that is so far away from who I am. It just ain't, yes, I'm gay. I mean, you know, how do I do this? You know, I'm like, well, they played that up too with the boy on the back of the bike. Come on. Um, so I sort of said, no, I, I can't do this. And, and he said, oh, yeah, whatever. Kind of, George is just one of these really cool dudes 
And he said, you know, that's Phil. He said, look, I, I've brought you up here and I've got to pay you for the day. Would you do me a favor and just do the wardrobe and the makeup because I need to get some photos for who I cast? And I was like, yeah, whatever. I mean, I'm pay being paid. I don't care. And having your head shaved into a mohawk was kind of cool anyway. So, you know, so they took me into the makeup room, but they had no mirrors. I was in a room with no mirrors, so I couldn't see what they were doing. So they shaved my head, did that, put me in the costume, and I could see part of the costume. And I was like, dear God, whoever wears this is in deep shit. And um, I could just see bits of it and that, and then they sort of said, well, George needs to see what it's like. They were going to do some photos. And I said, yeah, whatever. So they took me over to George's office, and I was standing in front of his desk, and he just sort of looked up from his desk, and he went, uh-huh, mm, yeah, good, good, mm -hmm, yeah. So do me a favor, will you turn around? I want to see the back of it. And I said, sure. And I turned around. On the wall was a six-foot-by-six-foot mirror. And I turned around, and my exact words were, fuck. <laughs> and he went, still think you can't do it? And I went, no, I think we could do this. It was just the minute I saw the character in full makeup, and it was there. I mean, he was so intelligent of knowing that if I saw what I was looking like, I would be exactly what he was after how I got it and I mean I was that was the first film I ever did I'd done three television shows before that in episodes episodics and directed a lot of commercials that was it so I started at the top as everybody likes to tell me um, with one of the best directors in the world and in one of the most iconic movies that in, probably made in the last 50 years so I was incredibly fortunate I look at it really carefully that I was not a great actor, I was brilliantly directed. And I'm serious about that, that George Miller is brilliant. And he knew what he wanted, he knew how to get it, he knew how to work you as a performer. He brought things out in me that if I had been allowed to just perform, I would never have done. Because he took you to places you were terrified to go. And he would make you stand, It was. It's. he always likes to say that with actors and editing, it's the same thing. It's like being on a roller coaster. You go up a hill very slowly. When you get to the crest, you go down the other side really fast. And the, the, what makes it work is that you stop before the wall, but the audience continues into the wall. And if you watch what he does to his actors and his editing, that's exactly what he does. He makes you perform to a point of where you do things, but you stop suddenly but the audience doesn't. They continue on with what you're doing, and they go, oh my God, that scene where you crack that guy's head open and his blood and his brains come out, and they go, uh, no, actually, all I did was sort of hit him and he fell over. But to them, because it's such a vivid scene, they saw what the result would have been if George had to continue that scene, that his head would have split open and the blood. And, and people tell me about these things a lot. And I have to sit there and go, yeah, yeah, that was a really good scene. <laughs> Not in my film, but it was a really good scene. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's, he's brilliant. He was a very intelligent man and I loved working with him. And as they say, if I hadn't been gay, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> <laughs> Strangely enough, I never <coughs> grew up idolizing anybody. My mother, who
who is the reason I am who I am anyway, um, was a very famous Australian songwriter. She wrote country and western songs. She wrote for Slim Dusty and people like that who were Australian icons. And when I was born, her career, because at that stage, just went away. You know, you didn't have a child and have a career in those days. You had a child. So I became what my mother wanted to be. You know, like all of her talent came into None of my siblings have any interest, talent, or anything else for anything. I was actually a singer in a very, very big Australian band. Um, touring band and we were working extensively and I got very badly hurt in a car accident and I couldn't work with the group and from that I started to do modeling because my manager got sick of me being a pain in the ass for the band because I was always bitching about not being able to do anything so he got me into a modeling agency so I started modeling and once I started modeling I realized that oh look I make all this money and I don't have to share it with six other assholes it's mine so that kind of started, and then I got bored because modeling is seriously, it's like smile, <laughs> you know, look angry, <laughs> you know, just, it's really mind-numbing. So I really didn't like it after a while, so I got out of it, and then I was going to kind of move back into the band. And from the modeling, I got picked up to do extras in shows. So I started being the extra in the background. But unfortunately, because I'm such a big shit, they would kind of look and they go, hey, you, yeah, you, the big skimmy. And you know, I'd be brought from the back of the crowd to the front of the crowd and I'd say, when the, when the star walks in, you say, you know, and I was terrified of all that. And what would happen was that between the director telling me what to do in the front and the guy actually walking in, I had drifted all the way back to the back of the crowd again. And this little voice would come out of the back. They go, what the? Fuck? Come here. So it was that kind of thing is, is where I started um, doing it. And I think the, the person that got me interested the most was um, an Australian uh, director of commercials who I worked with. And he was one of these people, I worked as his assistant director, and I thought that was really cool that I was going to be God. And his idea of an assistant director was that you swept the floors, and you put away the gear, and you did little things like that until you knew how to sweep the floor and put away the gear, and then you moved on up to the next piece and the next piece. And I learned the business through this man on everything I had to do up to actually being his assistant director and producer on major, major commercials in Australia. And his whole thing was no, nothing ever went wrong. Because if it did, you were fired. So any problem that appeared or became a problem was solved before it got to him. And you always knew when he was pissed off because he would start doing this. The minute that started, you panicked. Because now something was wrong that you had to figure out. And his other thing was that actors were actors. They were on the set to do one thing, act. They didn't carry chairs, they didn't get their coffee, they didn't open car doors. It was done for them because they were there to act. And uh, the same situation, he, he applied to them as he applied to everybody else. If you were hired as an actor on his commercial or anything else, you did your damn job or you were fired. So he instilled into me this whole attitude of being on time, doing what I do, and enjoying what I do, or don't do it. It was that simple. So I credit him with giving me everything that I needed 
to be successful. And then George Miller was the person who took me to the places that I didn't want to go. And the stage play that I did before that sh sort of showed me that as an actor, you have to be prepared to close off Vernon Wells and step into Ballsy and not have the two conflict. And I've always had a problem with method acting for that reason, that I can never understand how people can inhabit the character 24 hours a day. To me, that would be mind-numbing. It would destroy me because I get into such complex characters that if I actually carried that around with me, I would be on the front page of the newspaper. You know, man goes berserk, kills 12 people in in local brewery or something because that would be where my mind would eventually go. So I could never do that and I, I have trouble sometimes understanding how people do it. But that's a choice people make. Don't get me wrong, I do not look at people who are method actors and go, yeah, I'm fucking method actors. Um, it's a choice people make and some people can handle it and that's what they want to be. Me, I'm an idiot all the time. I mean, ask the boy. I Truly, I am. I, I get on the set, I screw around from the minute I arrive till I leave. But the minute the director says action, it's a whole different game. That's true. I mean, it was watching uh, you, I mean, people acting that one day, watching you click in and out of that character. As soon as action was called, it was there. Everything was happening on the set. Um, not always the lines, but... Uh, <laughs> well, sometimes it gets good. What can I say? One particular paragraph was fun. Yes, it was interesting. Uh, but yeah, it was watching you click in and out of it, and it was a, for me it was a pleasure to, to, to work with you and to, to see that. You never know what an actor is going to be. You know, people get cast all the time. You never know what it's going to be like. And then you have that camaraderie um, instantly, and I think you and I... Uh, oh, we had a ball. Right, yeah, no, it's it's... The only way I can work. I mean, I, I think coming from my background of being behind the camera, I have a, a huge camaraderie with the crew, and I really enjoy being with the crew. And uh, don't get me wrong, I like actors, but the problem is, is 90% of actors consider themselves to be better than who they are. And I've never understood that, that they're like, you know, don't talk to me. You know, this whole bullshit of you're on the set, don't look me in the eyes, don't talk to me. What the fuck? I've walked, I won't mention names, but I was on the set of a film that I was working on and the director, the producer actually took me aside as I came on the set and he said, I just want to let you know that the star you do not talk to and you don't, you know, because he has a problem with that. And I was like, you're kidding. And he said, no, no, so we just prefer that you don't. So I just went, okay, fuck. I just walked straight up to him and I just stood there and I went, hey, asshole, do we have a problem? And he went, no. <laughs> and I said, good. So we'll be fine. Because to me, that is such crap. Don't look me in the eyes. Don't talk to me. What? You know, you, you're there to work. You're not there to be an egotistical son of a bitch. You know, just get off your eye horse and enjoy it. How do you really feel, Vernon? Uh, <laughs> no, truly, it just, you know, sometimes it's just annoying. It's, you know, we all put on our pants the same way, we all go to bed the same way, and we eat our meals. It's just, you know, God gives us a gift. To me, I've always said, because I teach, it's simplicity. No one can be taught to be an actor. I don't give a shit what the books say. No one can be taught to be an actor. We are actors. Every goddamn person on this earth is an actor. When you are born, you are the greatest actor 
God ever created. Little kids, brilliant actors. They can manipulate and turn it on and turn it off. I mean, give me a break. Brilliant. What happens is we take that out of the equation. As you grow up, we begin to beat that out of you. You know, we don't want people to be wonderful little actors. We want you to conform. So that gets taken out of the equation and you don't have that, that wonderful little thing going on. However, you know, some people are lucky enough to keep some of it. And then what you do is, all you do is you give them a box to put it in, you know? Acting's all about parameters. It's that simple. You want to be a good actor, it's a parameter. It's A, B, C, and D. And a, a director says, I want you to go to A to C to D to B. That's the parameters of the box. Within that box, you perform. You do your job within that box. That's the whole point of acting. And people don't get it. They think it's this amazing thing that, that come, you know, I'm sure they think the archangel comes down and sticks a sword up our ass and suddenly become this brilliant actor. It doesn't work. Now, don't you say a word. It doesn't, it doesn't go like that. I'm sorry. It's, you know, it's, it's, we all have it. It's just that some of us do not want to do it. You know, I, I understand people don't want to stand in front of a camera. It took me 12 years to realize who I was. And for 12 years, I tried to be what everybody expected me to be as an actor. I went around being Wes or being Bennett from Commando and all those other major films. I was that person when I went to auditions, when I met people. That was who I was. And it took me 12 years to understand that that is so much crap that I have much more fun and get much further in my career and my life by being me and just walking into an audition as Vernon and having fun with what I'm doing and letting people know who I am, but that I have the talent to do what they need. And that's all it's about. It's just, you know, enjoying your life and enjoying yourself. And God, I don't know how to not do it. It can't be anything different. I'm a dumbass from way back. What do I do when I'm not working? I try to search out the tall, six-foot blonde with big boobs that is deaf and dumb. Damn it, there's one out there and I'll find her somewhere. Um, I actually live in um, Southern California. I live in Pacific Palisades on the coast. I have, I'm very, very fortunate. I've lived for 26 years in a house overlooking the ocean. So I am extraordinarily lucky and I am blessed and I have the most incredible wife. She is Japanese American and the most stunning looking creature on this earth and puts up with my shit for why I will never know. But she is just she is why I am who I am. She really she saved me. I was on a downward spiral when I met her and I would have definitely gone. And she is just the most wonderful, wonderful person to be around and um she lets me be an actor, lets me do what I do, doesn't, doesn't give a shit. She's like, you know, that's what you do for a living. You know, people love putting photographs of me on the internet, cuddling or molesting women, and she's like, oh, dear God, how boring. <laughs> she just doesn't, she doesn't buy into the bullshit, which is why I think we get along. She just, she thinks they're funny, some of them. She thought, she hasn't loved it. 
<laughs> she wanted me to print them out. You can see. Uh, well, the next thing we do together, I'm going to come with a stack of them so we can, you know, we can sign them together for people. I think we should. It's just, you know. Tomorrow at the booth, if you want to come by and get sentences, I'm going to go print some out tonight. So we'll have some, of, have some of those. He may not be there, or if he is, he'll be shorter. <laughs> Break both his legs. It'll be Comic Con exclusive. Yes, Comic Con exclusive. Son right. of a bitch. We have to, we have, we have to wrap this up. Um, yeah, bummer. So I know, but you're going to be on another panel here with Rex X. 4.30 this afternoon. Uh, 4.30 in room 122. And uh, the little casting crew director, they're going to be showing some stuff in Western X. No, it's just me. Um, it's Don't just, you uh, assholes, eh? He is the casting crew, the engine director, because he makes everything happen. Thank you guys. I am Gnomewise. I am Gonora. I am Iolite. I am Dexa. I am Grail. And I am versus you. I am versus you. And I'm versus you. I am versus you. And I'm versus you. Casually Hardcore. Sundays at 4 p.m. Eastern, 9 p.m. GMT. Only on VTWProductions.com.